All right, Matthew chapter 7. We've been going, uh, if uh, you're regular here, or actually if you're visiting, what we, we go line by line, verse by verse, chap, you know, chapter by chapter through a book. That's what we've been doing. We've made it all the way uh, to chapter 7. Uh, I don't know how long it's been, but it's been a while. Uh, so we're going to be in Matthew a while, but this has been good stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but like, I, I have been like completely, thoroughly blessed um, going through this. And what's funny about that is like, I like to think that I'm a guy that like is pretty familiar with the book of Matthew. I'm pretty familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of us are pretty familiar uh, with the sayings that, that we're going through right now in the Sermon on the Mount. They're super popular. Um, and yet I feel like I'm, I'm seeing them again for the first time. Like I, I like, um, and that's the beauty of the word of God. Like you cannot exhaust it. Like there's a lot of people that for whatever reason, like think that they like know their Bibles because they've been there and they've, they've gotten a basic exposition of something like the Bible is a well that you cannot run dry. Um, you can, you cannot exhaust it. Uh, you cannot come to the end of it. There is no end. Uh, the depths of it like are, are, um, are, they do not cease to be. God just takes you deeper and deeper. And the thing is that with the word of God, it's, uh, uh, the book, the writer of, uh, the book of Hebrews says that it's living and active, which means that every time you come to it, wherever you are in life, whatever's going on inside of you, it speaks fresh. It speaks perfectly and fully to where you're at, because this isn't just black ink on white pages. This is the Spirit of God imparting higher truths to us. It is living. It is active. And so like, I just, I've just been so blessed going through this. I, I hope that you guys have uh, been blessed. And, and today we're going to take uh, verse 7 uh, through 11, chapter 7, verse 7 through 11, which says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, that's you guys, um, <laughs> know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more... Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Isn't this a great passage? This is a great passage. I love this verse. I, I, I love this verse, and, and right now, in my life, I need this verse. I need this verse. So, like, it's funny because, as you know, we're on a rotation. we got three pastors. We all share the pulpit. We rotate. Like, it's, it's not, it's the, the algorithm is not rocket science. One guy follows the other. So none of us, like, sits down and, and, and like, deliberates over, like, okay, you're going to take this text. I think you would be better with this text. No. Like, like, whatever text falls on the next guy is the text he gets. And I, and I feel like God's just been playing some tricks on me lately with the texts that uh, fall on me. They're, like, exactly the things that I'm struggling with and being challenged with and need to hear in a new and fresh way. And, and this one's no exception. This is, this is the same. I need this verse right now, today in my life. I need to know this. And the reason I need this verse is because I often think that God does not hear me. He hears you. He listens to your prayers. And He wants to be good towards you. He wants to give you good things. He's a good provider for you, but not for me. And I've been in that kind of a place 
Some of you are like, oh, come on, dude. You know what I mean? It's where I've been. And so I, 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 I need to hear this. Because I, I, I come to spots, I've been here before, but I've been here recently where I feel like God is distant from me. Like he, like he doesn't hear me, he doesn't care about me, he's mad at me. Uh, maybe he's not my father, maybe I'm not his kid. Maybe this whole thing's just uh, a farce. You know what I mean? What was me? Uh, I, I, I feel like, like, like if, if he was paying attention to me, uh, if he if he did have a mind of goodness toward me, like I'd be getting good things, never bad things from him. You know what I mean? Uh, so so that 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 human being comes out uh, in me, and so I absolutely uh, need this verse. I need my brain to be reworked, my broken brain to be reworked. Which praise God, the scriptures is are faithful to do every time that the child of God comes to them. I need this verse to remind me that much of what goes on in my brain, as far as how I think uh, God should or doesn't answer my prayers, it's simply not true. A lot of what goes on up here is simply not true. So, so I need to be recalibrated, right? And this verse does this. Uh, because uh, th- this verse, another reason we need it, is, is because I need to consider the possibility that I don't fully properly understand this verse. And what's being communicated here? Consider that. That, may, that maybe we don't fully, uh, properly understand this verse. And so I, I, I need it again. I need to understand it. Because uh, this verse, like many others, uh, can be and often is interpreted so wrong. So wrong. Like, like cults have started out of verses like this. You know what I mean? Like, like the entire word faith movement comes out of verses like this. Some of you are like, don't, don't, don't bag on the word faith. I'm going to a little bit. I mean, this is, it needs to, it has to be done. It, it comes out of texts like this and all the damage that it brings forth to people's lives and people's relationship and the way that they think about God and think that God is towards them, right? And all the, all the damage that it does to people's faith. And, and, and what makes this verse so convincing as a word-faith verse is that Jesus is making emphatic statements here. He's making emphatic, forcible, that's all it means, statements, right? Verse 7, ask and it will, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. It's emphatic. His statement is certain. I mean, I mean it's, it's pretty strong wording. This is pretty encouraging language for the one who wants a cosmic genie for a god, right? Where you, you rub the lamp and out pops the prize. The language makes it seem like there's a 100% chance of us getting that which we pray for and it panning out uh, the way that we want it to. Jesus then like reiterates this guarantee, this emphatic language of a positive result in verse 8 where he says, for everyone who asks, receives, the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. Right? Done. I think of Princess Bride. Right? As you wish. You know what I mean? Like my wife wishes I was Wesley. I'm not. Uh, but that, that's what it reminds me of. Like, as you, no matter what you ask for, whatever your request is, like, as you wish. You know, in that nice... Anyway. All, all, all joking aside, like seriously, like this is great news. This is great news. 
What we have here in this text and the strength of the language of Christ is great news. This is great news for all those who ask and seek and knock. That God hears, God responds, God gives. This is great news. It's great news to know that that which we bring to and request of the Father is a done deal with Him. But only in the way which Jesus means it. Only in the way which Jesus means it. So then the question becomes, how does Jesus mean it? How, do, how, how does he mean what he is saying? Is it an open interpretation? Is it an open ask? Like, d- does, does he mean it in the way that we hope he means it? Like the way that I hope he means it? Right? Uh, because I can use a better back right now. You know what I mean? And I can use a renovated bathroom right now because of what my kids have done to it. And, and I can, I'll even take a private jet while we're at it uh, so, I can, so I can do better ministry for the Lord. You know what I mean? Change my name to, to Creflo, Creflo Dollar. Because he just got like a $66 million one, I think, with his name embossed on the floor and you know, for ministry. Right? Asking you will be given. This is the message. Is this open to any request as long as we genuinely ask, seek, knock? And the, and the answer to these questions are of extreme importance because our view of God and our relationship to God depends on a proper understanding of stuff like this. So how does Jesus mean it is the question. And the good news is that the rest of the text provides us with some definition as to what Jesus means. So let's just keep reading. Are you ready for a parable? You guys know the drill, right? Like Jesus cannot make a truth claim without following it up with a parable because that's what good teachers do, right? That's what good teachers do, and he, he was a pretty good teacher. So, so like, like they, they make a truth claim, and then they follow up that, truth, that, that, that claim with an active example of the claim. They put it in context, right? So that we can see it in action. So that's what he does here. 9 and 10, verses 9 and 10. Which one of you, if the son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. So first off, here in this parable, Jesus places you and I in the position of the parent or the father. Which is really weird because in actuality, when you look at what's being taught and talked about, we're the child too. Right? Like we're, we're the ones who would actually be request, or re- requesting things from the father. But he's saying for a second, like, I want you to sit in this seat. And I don't know about you, I had four kids, I can sit in this seat. Like, right, I'm immediately teleported there, and I'm like, okay, I got my parent hat on, and I got a kid coming to me, all right, with, with a, re, a request. So, so, so here, we're the father whose kid comes to him with a request, and it is in this request, okay, that we have here, hidden in plain sight, that we have the qualifier, the stipulation for the father's positive, favorable response. And what, in Jesus' example, is the child asking for? Bread and a fish, which are what? Food. Food. They're used for eating, right? They're used for eating. So, so the child's hungry, and he's in need of that which appeases his hunger. That seems reasonable to me. Does that seem reasonable to you? Yeah. Right? So, so in Jesus' example, the, child's not at, he, the child is asking for something good, 
Not, not bad, right? Something necessary, not foolish. Something life-giving, not lifeless. In this example, which is certainly not arbitrary or random on Jesus' part, because he never did or said anything that is arbitrary or random. Everything has purpose that Jesus did. The ask and the seek and the knock is for something in line with that which is right and true and necessary. Right? So, so it's not just anything that the kid's asking for. Right? It, it's something. It's, it's something good, agreeable, necessary, reasonable, life-giving. Not just according to the child, but also according to the father. So the father agrees with the request. He agrees with the request. So, so if we, being the child here, because we also are, ask for something right or agreeable according to the father, what the father deems right and agreeable, it would be ridiculous to think that he would withhold it or give us something that's opposite or wrong or bad. This is the proper context of this mistaught, misused text. This is what's being said. It is stupid and it is foolish and it is unbiblical for us to think that we can literally ask for anything, whatever that may be, and think that God would give it to us. I've tried it. And like, it's usually not till later where I look back and I'm like, thank you, Lord, for not giving me that. Like, we would fully agree with God if we knew what He knew, knew on everything He withholds from us. Right? But, but really, it's, it's, its foolishness really reveals itself when we're put in the position of a parent, right? Like, I don't know about you, but my four kids came and asked me for some ridiculous things when they were growing up. You know what I mean? Where it's like, I can't even believe you're at, like, you thought you should ask me for this right now. You know? Like, like if I would have given them whatever they asked me, like, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't even be existing on this planet right now. They'd be gone. Um, I don't have kids at home right now. They're grown, and we've, we've kind of done our deal. But for me right now, it's my grandkid. It's Lincoln. Right? And, and, and so um, I, I have the privilege and the blessing of, of getting to play with him and spend time with him every single day because he lives right down the road. And I'm just breathing all of it in. I'm just taking all of it in right now because I missed it with my four kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like that mode back then was survival mode. That's all it was. It's like wake up, do whatever it is you do, and then go to bed and do it again the next. Like it was survival mode. I didn't, I didn't like pay much attention to anything. So right now with Lincoln, I'm breathing everything in. I'm taking absolutely everything in that I possibly can, every little change and nuance that happens every single day. And so every day we get to play together. And there's two things that he absolutely thinks are good and loves right now. If we're playing outside, dog poo. If we're inside, wood stove. Right? Like for whatever reason, whatever it is going on inside his brain, those are the things that he's attracted to right now and the things that he loves, which is re- it's weird because in the backyard, it is a fenced backyard with, with Cars that he can get in and drive around and trucks and balls, like all this stuff. Like he owns it. It's his kingdom. But he wants the dog poo. So we have to make sure we pick it up and don't miss any or he will, he'll, he'll figure it out where, out where it is. He's got antennas. He knows where it's at, right? If we're inside, it's the same thing. When he's over, he takes over the house. It's his domain. I no longer own it. It's his. His toys everywhere. 
Everywhere. Every kind of toy you can think. But what does he want? He wants my wood stuff. And to say he wants to touch it. He wants to crawl it. And it's not going to go well when the cold weather kicks in and I start putting fires in that thing, right? But for whatever reason, this is what he's attracted to. This is what he thinks is good right now. And when I keep him away from those things and tell him they're bad, he thinks I'm bad. I'm the bad guy. For protecting him. Um, anyone familiar with, Cre- uh, I was going to say Crepola Dollar. No, Bodie Bauckham. Bodie Bauckham's a pre- the dude's awesome. Look him up. Has a great clip where he's talking about kids and like the nature, our sin nature, right? That we actually are born, you and I actually have original sin. I hope we all know that here. And, and it's not good news. It's not like something to, you know, say amen about. But we all have original sin. So we're like born with a sin nature, Right? When we're born, like what Adam and Eve did and, and received is hereditary. It's in our, it's in us. It's in our bloodstream. So when we're born, we're born into sin. No one has to teach us how to sin. We just, we sin. Okay. Our, our culture denies that. They reject that. Secular culture looks in and says, no, those are, those are learned cultural behaviors. So the things that we start doing that are wrong or saying that are wrong or thinking that we're wrong, we learn from what's going on around us. It didn't start from inside, right? And so he's talking about this uh, in a sermon, and he says, if you believe that, if you believe that everything that's bad in a human being is uh, culturally learned behavior, you have not had kids. <laughs> right? You have not had kids. Like, he calls them vipers and diapers. <laughs> and, and really, that's all Lincoln is right now. He's, 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 he's gone from like helpless, helpless, cute, cuddly to like, um, he will tense up already. Like the dude can't even speak like words that you can understand, but he will let you know clearly in multiple ways, creative ways, that he's mad at you. That he does not approve, right? And Bodhi says like, the reason that he, that God makes babies so small is so that they, they won't kill you. <laughs> right? And the reason why he makes them so cute is so you won't kill them. <laughs> and it's true. Amen? You guys can amen that. That's a real thing. I, I, told, I told Lincoln I was going to put him on blast today, but he didn't care. See, see, like, he, he, due to his lack of knowledge, somehow believes and is convinced that, that these two things, this, this poo and this wood stove, um, these things that are disgusting and harmful are somehow good. And when I deny him of those things, he thinks that I'm bad. He thinks that I'm the problem, right? And, and, and you and I are so much like this with God, it's not even funny. Not even funny. Like, like we too, though we're not infants, are like an infant in our judgments of good and bad in comparison to what God knows to be good and bad. We spend a good portion of our lives, even our Christian lives, convinced of certain things being good, being the solution, being the answer, while they're in reality things that will harm us and hurt us and kill us, right? Physically and spiritually. But we ask, we seek, we knock for these things and wonder what's wrong with God when He doesn't give them to us. The word faith community may look at this Matthew 7 and be like, I have a verse. To which my response is like, I have one too. You want to hear it? Yeah. 
A lot of you know this one, Isaiah chapter 55. You don't have to go there. You can look at it later, but you know this one. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now, what's going on here is uh, he's speaking through Isaiah directly to the children of Israel because they have been having a time of it for a minute. They're not doing well at this point in history. There's been uh, takeovers. There's been dispersions. There's been all like the, the nations in shambles. And God is making a promise here that, that he's going to come and he's going to fix it all. He's going to bring forth a deliverer from Zion to put everything that's broken back together. But it's not what they think it would be. That's what he's referring to here. It's not how they would have drawn it up if they were drawing up a recovery plan. It's completely different. It's far better than anything they could have imagined. Now, I'm not a scientist. I'm not an astronomer. I'm not an astrophysicist. But I'm pretty sure that the heavens are quite a bit out of my reach. You know what I mean? Like a bit above me. Like, 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 like there's this expanse, like up and out, in which you and I know next to nothing about. And Isaiah is saying... You, as a human being, your cap, your ceiling is right here. For your thinking, for your understanding, for your knowledge. It's right here. About right there. Right? But God, God has no cap. God has no ceiling with his thoughts and with his plans and with his understanding. Us, finite in all of them. God, infinite in all of them. Right? Bottom line... God does not think like us. Yeah, thank you, Lord is right. Amen, Sean. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. God does not think like us. He does not plan like us. He does not strategize like us. He does not calculate like us. He doesn't do things like we do because he's not limited like us. He has no ceiling. Because this is true, we can also know for certain that God's perception of good, of good, is not the same as our perception of good. It's gooder. Yeah, I, I meant to do that. It's, it's gooder. Yeah, you ain't no astrophysicist. <laughs> See, like God, like God perceives good on levels that you or I cannot even begin to comprehend. That we can't even begin to comprehend. And this is for three primary reasons. Number one, he's not bound and restrained by lack of knowledge, like we are. He's Two, he's not bound and restrained by will, like we are. This is where some of you get mad. And you're like, what do you mean? I don't have a free will? No. I mean, do you really want me to just settle this real quick? Or, like, have, have you ever, have, 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 you, have you ever, like, said something, like, done something to your wife or said something, seen this character trait in yourself, where you're like, that's it, I'm never doing that again, and then you do it tomorrow? Yeah, that's how big your free will is. Real, really strong there. God's not restrained or bound by that. Three, God's not bound or restrained by sin like we are. And, and this changes a lot of things when it comes to good. So, so therefore, he always, listen to this, he always knows the greatest good according to his perfect knowledge of perfect good along with every possible outcome for anywhere, 
any, anyone, anywhere, through any given circumstance at all times? We do not. Right? And, and because this is true, we will oftentimes not understand, not comprehend, or even not agree with what God often chooses to do or how he chooses to do it because we simply do not get what he gets. We can't. And it is imperative when it comes to our asking and our seeking and our knocking before our Heavenly Father that our good, to know that our good meter is broken. Our good meter is broken. His is not. Which means that sometimes I can ask for something that I'm fully convinced is a piece of bread and fish when he, full, he knows full well that it's a rock and a snake. I do this all the time. I know I do. Probably the most beloved, comforting, favorite life verse of the Christian refrigerator verse is Romans 8.28. We all know this, right? And we know, and we know. Confidence. That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called. And right there we stop and we go, hallelujah, praise God. Amen. Like this is the greatest verse in the, in the world. Do you know what the end of the verse is? According to his purpose. Well, I, well, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to like that or not. Right? Like what's he going to do? See, it's all about his good and purpose because his good is the greatest good. His purpose is the greatest purpose. Whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, whether we understand it or not, God in his perfect knowledge and righteousness wants us to know that though we may not understand what he's doing, though we may not agree, we can know that God is good and always performing the greatest good on our behalf according to him. We can know that. We can know that. Isaiah 55 wants us to know this, and Jesus here in Matthew 7 wants us to know this. Particularly when we get to verse 11, which I will read to you right now. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask them? What are the three most important words here? How much more? How much more? more. So there's two things that we need to make sure that we extract and pull out of this statement right here and chew on. Number one, God gives good things. I need to hear this. I not only need to hear this, I need to believe this. God gives good things. Two, God is more good than the the best person you've ever met or seen. God is more good than the best dad you have ever seen. And like I had a rad one. So I've, I've seen a great one. I grew up with, with the best dad I've ever seen in my house. A dad that was absolutely for me, that was a protector, that loved me, that was, that was constantly wanting to see me happy and see me blessed and see me safe and see me succeed. I had that dad that was for me all the way around. Like I, I, I tell him all the time, like I feel like I won the lottery with you guys as parents, right? Like the best one. So, so think about like the best dad, I don't know if it's someone else's or what, that you've ever seen. And then Jesus is coming along here and he's saying, now bury that person underneath the glory and goodness of your heavenly father. There is no comparison. There is no way to put them together. 
far greater in every way. Far greater in every way. Right? No one comes close. No one compares to our Heavenly Father and His goodness towards us, His mind towards us. He dwarfs them all in goodness towards His kids. And I need to be reminded of this every day because my head will tell me it is not so. God is in fact good towards me, to me, at me, around me, all the time. All the time. Not just on my good days, because this is like where my head likes to go to. Oh, you didn't perform today. Like you, like you got up on the wrong side of the bed, your thoughts have been trashed, you did this stupid thing, you know, said this to your wife, like, God, God just, don't even try today. He's mad, he doesn't want to see you. He doesn't want to hear from you. No. God is always, always, fully, completely, eternally good towards his kids on our good days and our bad days. Best moments and worst moments. He cannot love you and I more than he does right now because of what Christ has already done and established. He cannot love us anymore. We have full love from him right now. I need to establish this truth and be confident in it because when I fail to believe this, when I fail to believe this, I find my very relationship with him dangerously compromised. No, pastor, what do you mean by that? You ever been mad at God? Like if you haven't heard it already, yeah. Like the, like the fruit that it yields is not good. It's not good. And, and, and the place that I end up in is not good as a result of it. It's just despair at that point, all the way around. And, and the way I usually end up there is by him not answering one of my asks the way that I think he should, so I get mad at him and I question his goodness towards me. Because in my mind, if he's being good, meaning good, determining good towards me, he'd just simply do what I, I think should be done, Right? Like I should be, I'm the advisor to God, you know, on how to, how to handle my prayers in any given situation. I base, I end up basing my negative evaluation of God not being good to me uh, in answering my ass, seeks, and knocks off of something, check this out, that's straight up missing from this text. It's not even there. Something that we can all assume is in this text when we read it, but have no justification in assuming it because it's not there. Do you know what it is? Time. Time. There is absolutely no mention of time in any of this. We are promised that if we ask, we are heard. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, it will be open. But it doesn't tell me when. Is that immediately? Is it now? Is it tomorrow? Can it be? There is no promise of time, only promise in the package being delivered, opened, considered, and responded to by Dad with his greatest good intended. That's the promise. And, and it is in this time thing that I'm spiraled into most of my woes and most of my doubts and most of my concerns about him towards me. Right? Like, like if I pray and five or ten minutes go by and he doesn't do anything, like, what's up? 
Must not be listening to me today. Must be mad at me again. Must be absent. Must be busy with somebody else more important. Right? I think, well, that, that's it. Like, he's not paying attention to me. He, he doesn't mean good towards me. He doesn't care about me. Right? Like, Because I, I, I expect a burning bush yesterday from the things that I pray about today. You know? So, so like, what about when one year goes by? Or two? Or five? And you're knocking, and you're seeking, and you're asking, and, like, no one's coming to the door. Like, the house seems empty. Me and my wife have a prodigal. You guys know that. I think a lot of you have prodigals. I think a lot of you have been praying for our prodigal. Five years ago, left us and went to Vegas. Some of you just over Vegas are like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, that's not even the bad part. I mean, I just... And then he, he fell in immediately with some people and into a lifestyle. This is the part where you can go, oh. That like we never would have imagined. We never, ever would have imagined. Like, like out of all four of our kids, like, no offense to the ones that are here, like, like they, they were all, you know, good Christian kids. Growing. Like, this, this kid, though, was like it. Like, we would look at him and be like, this dude's the real deal. Like, the relationship this kid has with the Lord is unreal. Like, he was teaching us stuff by watching the way that he would live. And he's gone. And I mean Gone. And I think five years ago when he first left, and of course we didn't want anything to do with it, we, we, we were, me and my wife would, would go to sleep praying and crying, agonizing, broken over this kid's decision and what might be. And I think we, we thought to ourselves like, oh, this will, this will blow over in like a week or two. Like he's going to get down there and he's going to be like, oh, well, this all stinks. Like it's not what I thought it was. No. Like he went down and he just dug in. And he's still there. And his situation has escalated. Like, not gotten better. Like, it's just more, more of the same, but worse. And so five years later, we still go to bed, and we cry, and we agonize. And I can't figure out, for the life of me, why this is something that God will not give me. Is my son back. All I want... I'm not asking for much, just that he would know the Lord and that he would live his life unto God. It doesn't have to be something crazy. I don't care if he pumps gas the rest of his life. Like, be in love with Jesus. That's all, that's all I want. And I'm thinking, like, like, this is in line with your will. Like, I'm not asking for a snake. You know what I mean? Like, I'm pretty sure you, like, you would get down with this. So, like, what, what's, what's the problem? How come I've been knocking and asking and seeking for five years and nothing's happening? And as you can tell, oh, pastors aren't supposed to do this. My, my anger easily can move to resentment and bitterness and distance where it starts affecting badly my relationship with God. Because everything all of a sudden, even though I love my son and that's a good thing to love, has become about me and not about him. I know what's best, and what's best is that that kid comes straight home. What am I missing? Isaiah 55. 
Like, like God's ways are not mine. His thoughts are not mine. His plans are not mine. His clock, his clock is not mine. Like, like, I forget that my parents did this with me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it hit me like, oh, my gosh. Like, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, the, like by the time I was 14, I was gone. Not, not to Vegas, but, like, I was gone into drugs. I was already strung out. I had already dropped out of school. I was in and out of juvenile hall, in and out of mental wards, like, living under skateboard ramps. Like, gone. Like, hated the church. Had nothing to do with God. Gone. And my mom would go to bed every night and cry, and pray, and agonize. She would seek and knock and ask unceasingly for her son back. And, and here's, here's the thing, is that um, uh, I don't even think that, that, that her prayers would have been like, please make my son a pastor. <laughs> like, like, would you do that? Like, that's reasonable. Like, I don't, I, like, she wasn't even going there, right? Like, she's just looking for the bare minimum. She's like, please don't let me get a call from the ER again tonight. Don't let him overdose again tonight. Like, like it was things like that, right? She wasn't like, allow him to be a dude that, that spends his entire life teaching the Word of God to others. <laughs> like, like, what do they think now? Like, there was a time when they thought, like, this is impossible. And God's not listening to me, so just forget it, I guess. And, and not only am I here and existing and have a great relationship with them, I, I'm doing this. And this ain't me. This is not me. Do you think my parents know that God's plans are not theirs? His ways are not theirs, His understanding. It's still true. People, it is still true. For every single one of us, it is true. And God is good in all of it, every day, all the time. And I need to know this. Here's the most ridiculous part. You know who loves my son more than me? God. Do you know who, who knows how to take care of him more than I do? And, and I'm going to sit and get mad at him and rail against him because he's not letting me take over. Like he's not done. He knows what he's doing. And I need to believe this. I need to remember this. So that every day I wake up with confidence in the one who holds the day and holds tomorrow and holds next, and holds next week. Not just for me, but for the lives of the people that I really love. That's God. That's why I need this text. You understand? This is why... This is why I need to know this. I need to hear this. I needed to study. I needed this to fall on me. We're almost there. Um, The truth in in our text today, Matthew 7, 7 through 11, is that the more that we continue to be transformed in our thoughts and our desires and our actions towards God, the, the, the more we seek and ask and knock in accordance with the will of God. You with me? Let me say that again. The, 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 the more we continue to be transformed in our thoughts, desires, and actions towards God, the more that we will ask, seek, and knock in accordance with the will of 
God. So, so it's not about us changing Him. Like when we come to Him with our prayers, our asks, our knocks, our seeking, like we're not coming so that He will change and line up with us. Yeah, like, like he, he, He's the one changing us so that we will line up with Him. And as we line up with Him, we start asking for things that are really loaves and fish. Right? When our idea of good lines up with His idea of good, then all is good. With us and around us, no matter what it might look like in the moment, all is good. We, we, we can know that. You may not see it tomorrow, but you can believe it today. This is why the greatest prayer that can, we can ever pray is the one that quite possibly we dislike the most. Lord, your will be done. Like, there's nothing in that for me. Like, I'm just, rel- I'm just giving him full reign of everything. Like, I'm relinquishing Like, any idea of possible outcome to him? Is that even safe? It is safe. It's extremely safe, right? Um, Let me close with the most profound example of God's greater good for us as opposed to uh, our idea of greatest good, okay? Uh, You don't need to go there. It's in Matthew 16. We'll be there in 10 years. And, um, like, it, like, at this point, like, Jesus has revealed clearly to his disciples um, that, um, that he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. And they get behind it. They're like, okay, cool. Like, I'm down with that. And so, like, the cat's out of the bag, and, and they, they, they know what's going on. And then we just have this really interesting um, interaction uh, just following that where Peter comes to Jesus. And uh, what it says here is, is from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed uh, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, uh, saying, uh, far be it from you, Lord, uh, not going to happen, right? Not on my watch. And, and, and that's what he says. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance. To me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. See, like, like, like Peter didn't hear the raised part; like he just heard the killed part. You know what I'm saying? He's like, "Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and squash this right now. This isn't going any farther, right?" See, see, Peter is absolutely, positively convinced that the greatest possible good was to keep Jesus from going to Jerusalem and dying, right? That was his ask, his seek, his knock. But God's greatest good, for the sake of Peter and the entire world, was for Jesus to go to Jerusalem and die so that we may truly live. That's why we have a room full of people here this morning. is because Jesus went to Jerusalem to die. And you and I, if we were there, we would have been just like Peter. I'm not losing you. There's no way. None none of this is going to stop. We're going to keep traveling. We're going to keep telling jokes. We're going to keep, you know, staying up late around campfires together. Like, there's no way you're going anywhere. No way. And it's the worst possible thing. His idea of the greatest good was the worst possible thing that could have happened. God knows what he's doing all the time on levels that you or I cannot understand for our greatest good every day.
Lord, thank you that your word is living and active. That it, that it is the perfect um, prescription for what we need, where we're at, every time. I thank you that these are words of life and that we actually accumulate, grow in, gain life every time we spend time in it. So thank you for preserving it. Thank you for teaching so well, so clearly, so that people like us may understand and get it. And we thank you most of all that you truly are good and faithful constantly. Help us not to doubt that. Fill us with more faith, more confidence, more belief in everything that your word proclaims. To your glory and in Jesus' name, amen.